The following is an encore broadcast. Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi, everybody. Don Wardlow here, your friendly neighborhood baseball lifer. It's been an interesting week before we get into our interview, which is a an encore broadcast of a very early interview we did early in the series with Tim Haggerty, the voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas. It's been an interesting week, to say the least. Um, Tuesday was the trade deadline. That's August 1st. So Tuesday was the trade deadline. A lot of teams made a lot of moves and not a lot of them did too much good. The Angels brought in a bunch of pitching. And what did they do? They've lost four in a row now, three to the Braves. And last night, Thursday night, they lost to the Mariners on a grand slam home run. In the ninth inning by a guy named Cade Marlowe, who just hit his second major league home run. It's been a tough week for the Angels in spite of the people they brought in. The Mets got rid of both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Both guys they had pinned all their hopes on for 2023. And Verlander went back to Houston and Max Scherzer went to the Texas Rangers. So they're both in the same division. They'll face each other at some point when the Rangers and Astros get together. It seems like the team is not even looking toward 2024. They're looking more toward 2025 if their owner, Steve Cohen, is to be believed. And it makes you wonder if you're a Mets fan, is Pete Alonso going to walk at the end of the season? Or will they try to convince him to stay on as they try and rebuild the ball club? So when we come back after a word from our sponsor, we'll hear one of the very early interviews in the series before we had the format all put together, quite frankly, before we had the system with our microphone put together the way it is now. So this is one of the real early programs in the series where I interview El Paso Chihuahua's AAA baseball broadcaster, Tim Haggerty. You'll hear him if you keep it where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down, and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. 
They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. I've got a guest here with me today. We're going to talk about baseball, the game that I've given my life to, and it sure sounds like our guest has given his life to it also. His name is Tim Haggerty. I'll tell you more about him. Tim, how are you doing today? Great, Don. Thanks for having me. Okay, good to have you. Tim is the author of the book Tales from the Dugout, a thousand and one humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. And that one isn't out yet. That'll be released in March of 2023, on March 21st, to be exact. This isn't your first step into the author's realm. Tell me about the first book that you wrote, Tim. Thank you. The first book came out in 2012. It's called Root for the Home Team, Minor League Baseball's Most Off-the-Wall Team Names and the Stories Behind Them. Um, That one, my first job was the broadcaster for the Idaho Falls Chuckers. And it was the first year of that team being named the Chuckers. And so many people were asking me, what is a Chucker? Where does that name come from? And minor league team names became an interest of mine. There were encyclopedias that gave you crazy names from minor league team history, but there really weren't any that explained where they came from. So I put together a visual book, a lot of team photos, a lot of logos. Um, But I had never written a book before, so I had no idea how it got from my computer into a bookstore. So I actually bought How to Get Your Book Published for Dummies, which was a great resource. It taught me how to write a proposal what the next steps are. Uh, Cider Mill Press went to uh, press with it in 2012, and it was in stores, and it's still available now on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Correct, as will be your new book. And is that also, uh, has it been pressed by Cider Mill? Yes, yes, Cider Mill Press. They were recently purchased by HarperCollins. They're a great publishing company. And uh, the new book that you, that you kindly introduced, Tales from the Dugout, that is available now for pre-order on Amazon. And as you mentioned, it'll be in stores in March. Right. Now, I've worked for two of the more off-the-wall um, minor league team names. I'm wondering if either one of them got into your book. One was the Hardware City Rock Cats, which, thank God, they changed after two years to the New Britain Rock Cats. And the other was the Charleston River Dogs. Uh, did either of those make the cut? They did. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I love the River Dogs logo with the dog with the bat. And um, in my first book, we also, underneath each team name, had a not to be confused with section of similar team names. And I think that's where the Hardware City Rock Cats emerged somewhere. Um, and it, it's funny you mention when they switched to New Britain Rock Cats in my new book, Tales for the Dugout. There's a story from 2015 that um, New Britain honored a local fire department and they brought a big fire truck and parked it on the field as part of a pregame ceremony. The only problem was 
they couldn't get it off the field. It <laughs> dug a big hole with the tires in the back of the outfield grass. Oh, no. And they had to delay the game as they really worked to get this fire truck off the field, and it left mm-hmm. a huge divot in the grass uh, after it left the ballpark. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> a fire truck delay. Wow. Did it say whether the game did get played in the end? Yes, it did. <laughs> it was delayed because of a fire truck, but uh, they did get the game in. I know uh, one incident, and I believe this was in Winnipeg. You may have heard about this one. In Winnipeg, when I was in the Northern League, they had a game where it was the beginning of the season, and they they scored a run in the bottom half of the ninth inning. And what the problem was, was... It wasn't the winning run. It was the game tying run. Well, somebody didn't get it. And somebody set off the fireworks that are normally set (laughs) off at the end of the game. So there was a terrific fireworks display delay in Winnipeg. They had to play the rest of the game. So, Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, You know, the topic you bring up of delays, that was one of my favorite parts of this new book tales from the dugout was the bizarre delays over the years. Um, in the 1920s, there was a class D game in Wilmington, North Carolina. And as you know, from living in the Carolinas, Wilmington is right there on the water. And this ballpark in the 1920s was near the ocean and there was a beached whale and people ran into the ballpark and said, there's a beach whale down the street. So the entire ballpark, including the players left to go see this whale so the game was delayed by a whale. Now, that's a one of a kind. And now in, in 2022, people pay whole lots and lots of money to go whale watching. <laughs> it's a These good guys point. Yep. just cleared off the field. Right. Been to Wilmington. That was a when I was there, they they only played there for one year mercifully. The team moved to Albany, Georgia. That ballpark is for UNC Wilmington, the college baseball team there. And the press box was obviously built for fairly small college students. It wasn't built for professional broadcasters of the size of my broadcast partner and myself. It was entirely too narrow. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily that was only 2001 was the one year the Wilmington Waves played there and then they became the South Georgia waves, the Dodgers um, South Atlantic league ball club. Now, how did you get into this wonderful game, minor league baseball? You know, I began at the college level, not really imagining that I would do minor league baseball. I grew up in New Jersey where minor league baseball was still years and years in the future. Um, I only thought about Major League Baseball. I didn't attend a minor league game until I was 26, and I became a minor league announcer at 28. So how did you go from presumably college broadcaster to minor league broadcaster in 2004? Well, first off, I finished college in 2004, and I remember in the years leading up to that, when I was striving for this, I read a couple of articles about you. Uh, So I have known your name and your career for almost 20 years now. And this is the first time, well, over the past week or so is the first time we've spoken. So uh, really great to talk to you, I guess not in person, but uh, over Zoom here. Um, But as far as how I got into it, 
probably like a lot of people, I grew up with a passion for baseball. I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, was always captivated by every part of it, going to Fenway Park, playing baseball, um, looking at the Boston Globe sports section, memorizing rosters. I always loved crazy baseball stories, even as a kid. And I was very lucky that my high school had the town cable access TV station right there at the high school. So I was broadcasting games when I was in high school, uh, targeted a college, Linden State College in Vermont, now called Northern Vermont University. And they had a really specific program for broadcasting. And uh, Vermont was a great place for me. It was it was in a very rural area, which allowed me to get a part time job at a radio station, doing everything from news reporting to uh, broadcasting local high school events. Uh, but I knew I needed a tape of myself doing a baseball game. You know, as you know, Don, that's a big part of this industry is not only a resume, but, you know, sending a tape of what you sound like. Uh, so I worked out a deal to do a couple of Cape Cod League games during one college summer, uh, which led to a, an opportunity to be the broadcaster for the Vermont Mountaineers, another uh, summer collegiate league team, which is in Montpelier. And from there, I had some baseball play-by-play -play experience, went to the winter meetings and got the Idaho Falls job in December of 2003 and then moved there in 2004. My guest is Tim Haggerty. The book, which will be coming out in March, Tales from the Dugout, a thousand and one humorous, inspirational, and wild anecdotes from minor league baseball. And how about those Idaho Falls chuckers? So what is a chucker? It's a pheasant-like bird and kind of had a tie into baseball where you chuck the ball, but it's C-H-U-K-A-R. They have a really cool logo. Uh, they're still a professional baseball team. They sort of had their status reconfigured on the Major League Baseball overhauling of the minor leagues in 2020. So they're now an MLB partner league team in the Pioneer League. That was a great experience, though. I grew up in the Northeast. I had never been out West like that. And being on these bus rides through Montana and Wyoming and Utah, places I had never been, uh, to me, that's been one of the great gifts of doing this is being in different cities and states that normally I wouldn't have gone to. You know, my own long and winding road began in Miami and took me to New Britain, St. Paul and Charleston, South Carolina. So from from Idaho Falls, Idaho, where was your long and winding road leading to El Paso, Texas, where you are now? My second job was also through the winter meetings. I met the general manager of the AA Mobile Bay Bears, Bill Shanahan, there, December of 2004, uh, and became the broadcaster for the Mobile Bay Bears 2005 through 2007 at Hank Aaron Stadium. Uh, the late, great Hank Aaron, that's where he was from, Mobile. And I had a chance to interview him a couple times over the years when he was passing back through Mobile. From there, I uh, found out about a broadcast opening with the Portland Beavers in Oregon. And there, I wasn't the lead broadcaster. I worked with a very talented broadcaster who remains a great friend, Rich Burke, now does Pac-12 Network, has done the Olympics, has done all sorts of various sports. Um, and something unique happened in 2010. The Portland Beavers had no place to play because uh, the Major League Soccer team was taking over the stadium that the Portland Beavers played at. So for three years, the Padres AAA team was temporarily in Tucson, became the Tucson Padres and I was lucky enough to be the broadcaster there. Uh, that franchise was purchased by the Mountain Star Sports Group here in El Paso and moved here to a beautiful stadium in El Paso. Uh, and this place has been just spectacular. Um, 
I, I love all the places I've worked, but this has been the best when you look at the fan support, the stadium. It's awesome, Don. It's uh, just a, a great place to witness a game. I am going to come back to El Paso, but I absolutely can't let you go without talking about Hank Aaron. You said you yeah. interviewed the man. We all have our interview stories. Mine is Bob Feller, who I had heard could be difficult, but I also heard he could be dealt with if you said, yes, sir, no, sir. If you said, please, may I ask you for an interview? If you if you approached him that way, if you tried the other approach and said, you know, I'm I'm entitled to an interview here, you know, that'd be the one thing guaranteed to chase Bob Feller away. Now, Hank Aaron's reputation is for being more the strong and silent type. I won't say he was ever thought of as unpleasant, but he was thought of as not having a whole lot to say. How did you draw out a Henry Aaron? I first off, I love that Bob Feller story. I I didn't know that about Bob. Um, but yeah, the the first time I met Hank Aaron, there was a charity event at the stadium, and uh, we had a window to tape a radio interview with him, and he was great. I I, I had that perception of him that he was strong and silent. He wasn't the type to be in front of the cameras smiling and being flamboyant. Uh, he was measured and. Uh, had really gravitas to him, but he treated me very well. You know, at that time, the first time I interviewed him was 2005 and Barry Bonds broke the home run record with controversy in August of 2007. So it was very much a national story at the time as he was gaining on this record. You know, on one hand, you're at a charity event with Hank Aaron. Um, you don't want to make it a tough, hard hitting interview but he's there in front of you. And it's really the baseball story at the time. I, I felt somewhere in the interview, I had to ask him and he was so gracious at that time. He said, well, I've always said records have uh, are made to be broken. He said, Barry has done everything humanly possible to get that record. I wondered if Hank meant something by that done everything humanly possible. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I'll tell you a great story. Um, that summer months after that interview, Hank was back in Mobile to be the guest speaker at the AA Southern League All-Star Game luncheon. The AA All-Star uh, Southern League All-Star Game was at his stadium, Hank Aaron Stadium, and we brought him back to be the luncheon speaker. And the morning of the All-Star Game, uh, the morning of the luncheon, the general manager for the Bay Bears walked into my office and said, hey, can you go pick up Hank Aaron? <laughs> and I laughed and said, yeah, right. He said, no, seriously, everyone's so busy preparing for the All-Star Game, and I know you'd appreciate it. Here's his address. At that time, he was actually staying with his mother when he would visit Mobile. Hank was in his 70s, but his mother lived into her 90s. Uh, very nice woman. So I drove 20 minutes to Hank Aaron's mother's house, out walked Hank and one friend of his who, who worked with him at that game that night. And uh, what a thrill. I mean, being in a car, in my car, with Hank Aaron for about 20 minutes. Um, and I found that he was asking me more questions than the other way around. He really wanted to know about the Southern League, how it all worked, uh, who the top prospects were. And that's a great memory. That's beautiful because you had Hank Aaron with no cameras, no microphones, yeah. no, no pretensions, if Hank ever had any, which I don't know. But just it's when it, it's the most unguarded you would ever see. 
Hank Aaron. He's a guy who's had his his troubles back in the day. He got the death threats in the yeah. 1970s. He had reason to be suspicious, but but you had a wonderful unguarded moment with the man. I love that story. Thank you. He um was so admirable. You mentioned without the cameras and he was so quietly charitable to Mobile. You know, he made his name in Atlanta and in Milwaukee, but he never forgot about Mobile. Uh, there was the Hank Aaron Foundation, and those were the three cities that it had an outpost was Milwaukee, Atlanta, and Mobile. Uh, and it, it benefited children that came from tough backgrounds. Um, I always appreciated that. And, you know, you mentioned the death threats. One thing that uh, a story I heard so Hank lived in a section of Mobile that was a rough area. And you think about the time that he was growing up. Um, There's a story that the Ku Klux Klan was walking through his neighborhood and Hank and his siblings had to hide under a bed. And as a kid, Hank's reaction to that was, I can't wait for the time that this doesn't happen anymore. And I remember thinking that that was amazing. I would think most of us would just be terrified. We would hate it. And we'd be worried that it would happen the next day. But Hank recognized that this can get better and that it will get better. Um, pretty amazing that a kid would think that. You know what I mean? Definitely. You're listening to the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here with Tim Haggerty. The book is Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Humorous, Inspirational, and Wild Anecdotes. From minor league baseball coming out in March of next year. And Tim, you probably know there's a number of Tales from the Dugout titles. They've been written by different people. And how, how are you going to get around the confusion from other Tales from the Dugout books? It's a great question. So as first off, when it comes to the title, the cover design, um, I was not given any vote in that, which I'm not complaining about. Cider Mill Press has teams of people that pick things for a certain reason, and I have complete faith in them. I, I'm not complaining about that, but I'm just giving you the background there. So when I was in high school, I came across a book, Tales from the Dugout. It was written in the 1990s by Mike Shannon, uh, a great baseball writer in Cincinnati. Yes, I've got that one. Yeah, yeah, and I enjoyed that book. So when I first was told that the lead to my book's title would be Tales from the Dugout, I contacted Mike, told him how much I respected his book, and he really appreciated that. And as you mentioned, it's not just those two. There's a series of books, Tales from the Cubs Dugout, Tales from the Guardians Dugout. Um, you know, it's become, I guess, a trendy title. So, um yeah, definitely. For people that read my book and think about that, and maybe they also read the book in the 1990s by Mike Shannon. Believe me, I have full respect for Mike. I wanted to let him know that right away. Uh, that is the the title the publisher went with. I think it's a, a great, catchy title and an excellent cover. And there's room for all of us, I think. <laughs> El Paso is a city rich in baseball tradition. I can't even tell you how far back it goes. I am familiar starting with the El Paso Diablos and having worked there as long as you have. I bet you've done a lot of research about the history of 
baseball in that city. Absolutely. It goes back to the 19th century. Um, that's what's what's fun about the book is there's about a dozen stories out of the 1001 that do connect to El Paso. In the 1970s, the El Paso Diablos were led by Jim Paul, their owner, who was one of the first people in minor league baseball to really develop some outside the box promotions. And one day after a, a day game, he decided that he wanted to have the world's biggest ice cream sundae. So it, uh, if you give me a second to glance at my note here, Don, I'll give you the amazing totals. Uh, this ice cream sundae in 1974 had 170 bananas, 15 gallons of ice cream, 12 gallons of strawberries, and 15 pounds of whipped cream. And they had hundreds of kids given a free spoon to come eat ice cream at the same time. Um, so there are some crazy stories connecting to El Paso that go back to the 1800s. Uh, there was a game here in the 1930s. A fan got so mad that he threw a metal chair at the umpire. And the oh, poor wow. umpire was fine, luckily, but he did get hit in the head with a metal chair. Ouch. And the fan, when he was being ripped out of the ballpark um, to be ejected, the reason he gave was that he didn't like the umpire's strike zone. <laughs> There's other ways to to demonstrate that fact. Now, you've, <laughs> you've mentioned that the book that you've written has a forward in it by former Major League All-Star Billy Butler, um, outfielder by trade. How did you get in touch with Billy Butler to write the foreword to your book? So that first job I mentioned, Idaho Falls 2004, he was the young first-round pick on that team, uh, became the best player from that team. And Billy actually lives in Idaho. He met a woman when he was there in Idaho. They got married. They have young daughters together. So he has really maintained a friendship with the Idaho Falls Chuckers, through that, occasionally we've emailed, occasionally we've taped interviews, and he's always been so kind to me, so professional. And one time he said to me after an interview, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. you got to be careful saying that, Don, because sometimes people take you up on that. Exactly. Um, so I, I just explained to him, you know, I'd love to ask you about this story and use it as the book's forward. So we talked about a game that he was playing third base, Idaho Falls at Casper, Wyoming, and he looks down and there's a big snake in the grass. And they actually had to delay the game while the general manager of the team ran on the field with a pillowcase and put the snake in the pillowcase. Um, so Billy provides that story as the foreword and introduces all of the stories in the book. I've never been in the Southern League, but somebody who has told me it had some interminable bus rides. Uh, but you've been in the Pioneer League and the Southern League both. And I think they the two might run a close race for the <laughs> longest bus ride. Yeah. Uh, when we were in Mobile, we'd go up to uh, the Raleigh area, play the Carolina Mudcats. That was 12 hours. Um, That's a long one, all right. Yeah. It, it's a lot better if you can manage the bus ride on one of the rare off days. The tough one is when you finish up a homestand, pack up all your stuff, get to the bus at midnight and then you don't arrive to the next city until 8 a.m. And there's a game that night. No, it will. We had some 10 hour beauties from Portland down to Bowie, Maryland. We had some of those. Right. So but you've got a lot of wide open space in the Pioneer League. That's why I thought maybe from somewhere in Idaho to Montana or Utah could get to be a lengthy trip. 
Yeah, it was uh, Casper, Wyoming to Idaho Falls. I want to say it was nine hours. We were lucky that Idaho Falls was fairly central. You're right about Montana. If you went Montana down to Casper at that time, I bet they were busing 12, 13 hours. Final question on the Baseball Lifer podcast with Tim Haggerty. So the book is going to come out next March and your baseball season is going to start next March also. So, or next April, that is. So you're, how are you going to see the book promoted while you're broadcasting the ball games of the El Paso Chihuahuas? Yeah, I think um, luckily, as you know, most games are night games. So if there's someone like yourself that wanted to have me on a show like we're doing today, we could arrange a time to do it in the afternoon. So I think luckily both of those can coexist. Um, in 2012, when my first book came out, I had a chance to do various radio interviews, people that wanted to have you on. And I think for the most part that worked. I, I'm remembering back a decade ago, uh, the sports radio station in Boston wanted to have me on, but unfortunately it was at the time that I was broadcasting a game. So that was a tough one because, you know, getting a chance to be on the air in the city you grew up in would have been a cool experience. But other than that one, I think we were able to balance everything. Our guest has been Tim Haggerty. Tim, the book, A Thousand and One Humorous, Inspirational and Wild Anecdotes from Minor League Baseball, Tales from the Dugout. Tim, hope the book does well. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Don. Great to talk to you, and please stay in touch. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And of course, thanks to our guest, Tim Haggerty. This was a rebroadcast of an interview he did earlier in the year when his book, Tales from the Dugout, was about to be published. And it's been out there on the shelves since then and online. The beautiful thing in the online age is books just don't go out of print like they once did. Now you get a book out there, it's going to be out there. So look for Tim Haggerty, Tales from the Dugout. Next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast, it'll be another author, another encore program from the day we interviewed Eric Sherman. Eric Sherman has written 
numerous books about the New York Mets, and we were able to talk about that. Hopefully you'll enjoy it and listening to it next week. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. This is the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.